You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, August 23rd. We are 11 days away from the opening kickoff, Notre Dame, Ohio State, in Ohio Stadium on September 3rd. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And Tim, uh, Notre Dame scrimmaged on uh, Thursday. There was a reference made by one of the safeties yesterday about scrimmaging yesterday, but I think that was just an isolated yeah. Um, yeah. little moment within practice. But the scrimmage was on Thursday. We went to practice on Friday. The offense didn't look very good and mostly seven-on-seven seven stuff. It wasn't full-scale stuff. Uh, but Marcus Freeman had said the previous day that the offense won based upon the, the, the main criteria being who do you protect a football? Do you take the football away? And the offense protected the football with only one, one turnover. Uh, but we have heard, we've heard several conflicting comments regarding who played well and who did what. What's your perspective on uh, some of the information that was passed on to us? Yeah, all trustworthy people, too. Now, one thing we do know is the offense scored, what, four or five touchdowns in that scrimmage? That's and what... yet, multiple people told us Tyler Buckner didn't look that good. Well, so... and, that the defense, the, and that the defense controlled the line of scrimmage, yeah, too. Yeah, so which... I, do believe that the, I do believe that the five touchdown number was accurate. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's probably other plays involved in a scrimmage where people can be looking at it and say, well... I mean, you know, you're averaging whatever yards of carry on every other play, so they didn't look that good. The, the key here is it's good news that the offense scored five touchdowns in a scrimmage. Uh, the offense is behind Notre Dame's defense by all, I would say, all analysts, right, going into the season. Would you say that because and at least all analysts outside of the practice field? Sure, but they've it's fair, though. They've missed they're missing their best offensive lineman right now. They've been missing receivers all of camp, except the most important one, Lorenzo Styles, and of course, Michael Merritt tight end. They're missing a running back. They're missing a running back they're going to have and a running back they're not going to have. It's They're more shorthanded. The defense, you can't name guys they're missing other than Leofau, who we were told was very active in the scrimmage, which could put to bed some of the rumors about him being injured. Now, it's it's okay for an offense to be behind the defense going into the season, right? It's just that people are worried about it, and I get it. They're sensitive because they're playing a team that's going to score 35 points rolling out of bed every game to open the season. It makes it tough for your offense if you're a little behind. Um, yeah, it does. I mean, I, it, if the offense had the kind of success that we heard, that's that's good news. Now, you know, you're gonna, you can flip the page and say, well, how come the defense isn't playing better? We Look, we weren't there exactly. We know that it, it, it looked like uh, – uh, everything that they were doing in the passing game was a bit of a struggle until they went into a very, very brief team period, 11 on 11, and they had a little bit of short, uh, short space success or short period success. But, um, you know, I, I think we still feel very confident about the defense and where yeah. Notre Dame is. Uh, if Tyler Buckner is starting to come of age in August, uh, that's a that's a great sign. That is my that is, in my opinion, the greatest concern going into Ohio Stadium. And it's not just Tyler Buckner; it's any first time starting quarterback going into that stadium and having to uh, perform. Oregon beat them last year uh, at Ohio State, but Anthony Brown had playing had plenty of college playing experience. Not that he's a world beater, and not that his stats were very good. That'll come up later in segment two with a question, but. Um, you know, I, it here we are. We're reaching that point of the of August in the preseason where we need to see a football game now because yeah. anytime you're going offense, defense, defense, offense, good news is also bad news, and bad news is also good news. So um, maybe some progress being made by the offense, which which was absolutely necessary when camp opened because of all the shortcomings that you the shortcomings that you have at receiver, the limited number uh, of running backs, although. I think with if Logan Diggs is healthy and ready to go, I think those top three running backs are going to be very good. We heard good things about um, uh, Tobias Merriweather yep. and Audric Estime from from the scrimmage on Thursday, and that's none, none of that is a surprise. I think Notre Dame fans are going to be excited to see. I think Audric Estime is going to carry some defenders with him this year during the 2022 season. Yeah, it's an offense that uh, the weakness right now is – depth because if you lose a guy you could normally afford to lose and go 10 and 0 like Braden Lindsay when they went 10 and 0 and they lost Braden Lindsay or 11 and 1 when they've lost Braden Lindsay if you lose Braden Lindsay this year 
Yeah, it gets you can't. Gets, that's the that's the problem with the receivers and running backs. Now, hey, Logan Diggs is back. Yeah, well, you still if you lose Chris Tyree or you lose Audrey Gustamere or Logan Diggs, it's just it's just a numbers game. It's not it's their fault at wide receiver. It's not really their fault at running back. You can't uh, you can't carry more than six six no. scholarship running backs. Yeah. Someone's going to leave. But you know, I Jay- think we all even the offensive line depth, Tim. They have seven returning starters, eight if you include Tosh Baker, which you probably shouldn't. He wouldn't have started in that situation. But if Tosh Baker's your eighth guy, your eighth most experienced guy, that's a nice start. It's just, it's the opponent. It is, if Jarrett Patterson was missing the Marshall and California game, it would be absolutely fine. It's that they're playing Ohio State in the game season's most important game for Notre Dame and one of the three most important games of the college football season for determining playoff bids. So everything is heightened right now. People are... <laughs> on edge with things that are going on. I mean, if Maris Leofau was ramping up to get ready for Marshall, nobody would care. It doesn't matter as much. You know, it's, it's a situation where this game has been, this has been circled since Marcus Freeman got the job, even before the Oklahoma state game was being played. People were talking about this game. Yeah. You know, um, you're, you're for, let me just clarify. You're not saying Jarrett Patterson won't play in the Ohio state. No, game. I'm you saying nobody say would care if he was missing game one against right. Marshall. Yeah. That's... We don't, we don't know that. I, I still, if he plays, I don't think he's a hundred percent. I don't think that he's really near 100% if he plays. Um, he so it's kind of heroic, right? I mean, he's just going out there and gutting it out because you're not supposed to be healthy at this point with that injury. Well, see, you're saying that injury and, and, and Marcus Freeman called it a sprained foot. Now, if, I mean, if you take that at face value, then, oh, well, you know, it's just a sprained foot. He should be ready to go for Ohio State. Um, we'll see about that. I just think it's going to be really, really difficult for him to play. And if he plays, he's not going to be 100%. So let's just leave it at that. Now, uh, not to spend most of this segment talking about injuries, but Cam Hart, Yep. was not at practice yesterday uh, or he wasn't during the first five periods. Right. He uh, did he, walk he in. Joined we, were, we were leaving. We saw Cam. Right. Martin, yes. He joined, he joined them shortly thereafter, but he, let's just leave it at that. But um, he's had, he had a hamstring. Remember going into the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma state. Yep. He, had, he had a hamstring and there was a question as to whether he would play. I don't know how much that impacted him, but that was not a good secondary that day. And the last thing that they could afford was for Cam Hart not to be at 100%. So, yeah, I was about to talk about all the depth I've seen growing in that secondary this year with four safeties that can play and two fresh two freshman corners that can play. And even safeties coach Chris O'Leary talked about them yesterday. Two freshman corners that can play, three veteran corners. Tim, they're secondary. They're four guys and they're, they're four safeties and they're three corners. Have over 7,000 collegiate snaps. <laughs> And Mickey and Morrison are like two of the more exciting yeah, players Morrison, that are included in that. Benjamin it, Morrison, Ben Morrison, as as O'Leary referred to him, is the other freshman that that um, you were talking about. Yes, yes, but they need Cam Hart for Ohio State. That's once again Cam Hart and Ohio State. If he's what, if you miss one practice eleven days before because yeah. your hamstring or anything else is bothering you, that's fine. But you and need that, Cam Hart. You need that you may very need. well be the case. Yeah. We don't have we have access to practice tomorrow, right, right? Yep. Wednesday, right. Uh, and we'll we'll keep an eye on that as well. But uh, so uh, Xavier Watts is now part receiver, part safety, uh, special team starter on kickoffs and kick returns, according to him. I really enjoy interviewing Xavier Watts. I, I don't know. Have you had an opportunity? Yeah, like in the spring. In the past? Yep. Yeah, in the spring you did. I really enjoy uh, dealing with him because I think, you know, he admitted that, hey, the first couple of years when he wasn't playing, he's kind of grousing around a little bit. And now he's just taking an attitude that, hey, I hear I'm, I'm at Notre Dame. I've got an opportunity to play both ways. I'm going, I'm going for it. And I'm just going to come out and enjoy the experience every day, be there for my teammates. It was really, it was really great to hear his, you know, I mean, the, the juggling act that he's going through because he's still, a, he's still a new safety. Right, he hasn't, right. you know, I mean, last year he was just see the ball, hit the ball. And so he's come a long way since then. And he did, he made the point of, you know, it's still Tommy Reese's offense. The plays are basically the same. I just haven't been, you know, doing a lot of the drills and running the routes and he's, he's putting in overtime uh, post-practice with, with his position coaches. So um, you know, his, 
one of his biggest dilemmas now is settling on the number that he wants. And he's made up his mind. He, he doesn't want number 26, but it might be the only number that he can wear on both sides of the ball that he's comfortable with. He has a real problem with the, the number in the twenties. He was wearing number four on defense. He's not getting that on offense. Can't Sorry. wear four on offense. Cause Lorenzo styles moved to that right now. Um, so Mickey, Mickey has 21 on defense. Uh, which is the number that Styles relinquished. You're just I'm saying that Xavier Watts gets the raw deal all the time, huh? Yeah, to, well, which, yeah. Okay. So he may he may be he may be stuck with 26, but he said, hey, playing time's more important than my numbers. So you know, I talked to Houston Griffith and DJ Brown about Watts, and I thought Brown made the best point. He goes, I am not concerned about his growth as a safety because huge difference between the spring and during camp. He spent all summer studying the playbook, knowing all that. Now every safety needs to play with other safeties to have communication, but he said he's not this would have been an issue in the spring kind of was insinuated, but it's not now he can really, he can, he can come back and be a safety as needed because he, he took enough leaps in terms of knowing what he's supposed to do. Right. Obviously though, you're going to be fifth in the pecking order when that happens, because these guys are communicating back and forth. Yeah. A uh, uh, quote from Brandon Joseph about Xavier Watts yesterday. X is a beast. I wish I could play both ways. Yeah. 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 He, he's, he's cause he was a receiver in high school. He said, you know, I love playing receiver too, but he said, but when he goes over there on offense, he's catching everything. He's got hands for sure. Undoubtedly. Then he comes over the defensive side and he's a beast. You know, all of those guys talk about it's no surprise Notre Dame fans and us that, you know, Watts is, Watts is a very physical football player back there. Uh, you know, uh, you know how we were told that the uh, Friday 11 on 11 thud scrimmage didn't really matter. Yeah. Did it matter that Xavier Watts made the best catcher? Does that not matter at all? Because that's whole scrimmage didn't matter. <laughs> I think is, it all matters. People, is it still, is it still, is still cool that Xavier Watts made a leaping catch and got hit in the head or does it not matter because nothing, <laughs> nothing mattered that day, apparently. You're being sarcastic. I am. It was a great Uh, catch. He took a shot. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we were told the offense struggled uh, or the offense struggled a bit on Friday and and we were told that it was of no consequence. Well, if it's of no consequence, then I'm not sure why you're spending practice time on it. But, um, you know, point taken. I realize the scrimmage is, is... all encompassing and and uh my point was though he is a fearless guy like there's a he went up for that catch and maybe maybe he didn't know he was going to get drilled because of the type of scrimmage it was but he he took a shot and i think it was a, a blow to the head honestly I, there were officials there they didn't call it um oh we both saw that we thought his yeah. initial reaction was that he took a shot to the head and then he yeah. was fine really nice catch though and yeah, uh, every time catch. i want to write him off i think to myself you know who are we writing him off for <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's exactly it. And, and look, he's skilled. I mean, he caught, where'd I write it down? He caught 163 passes for, you know, 36 touchdowns in high school. I mean, he was a, he was a prolific high school receiver and you, he, he, he has the size, he has the physicality, he has the hands. He has the opportunity. He has the (laughs) opportunity. He's now 193, but he said it's a way better 193 he said I was kind of. He said I was kind of chubby my first two years. He said I wasn't out of shape, uh, but his body fat is way down. So he is, uh, he's primed and ready to go. And if there's a guy that can, ultimately he's, ultimately this year, 2022, he has no idea what goes beyond this year, nor should he, or even care about it. You're, you're dialed into where you are right now, but, um, you know, ultimately he's going to he's going to have to settle into one position more than the other. And if it, and if he does. You know, if he does end up catching eight, 10, 12, 15 passes this year, then maybe, maybe he ends up staying on that side. Yeah. I, I feel like we've talked too much about Xavier Watts, so I'm not going to beat this dead horse, but there's four wide receivers that we know for Notre Dame are going to be heavily involved this season, if healthy and styles, Merriweather, Lindsay, and Jaden Thomas. So someone's going to be the fifth. It could be Joe Wilkins. It could be Deion Colsey. It could be Xavier Watts. It could, be Matt, the, Salerno it, it the could be Matt Salerno down the line. Yeah. It, yep. So someone, someone has a role. Cause we, I, we really only know about four and one of those guys has never caught a pass or two of those guys have never caught a pass. Segment one of Irish illustrated insider has been brought to you by Circa resort and casino. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with 12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa sports with two ways to win and no rake Circa sports million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. Play Circus Survivor and select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Las Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for details. Coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. 
This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame Leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale presented by Do Dublin Tours. Visit dodublin.ie to book your tour today. There was a period of time in the 19th century in Ireland known as the Golden Era. At its peak, Irish whiskey accounted for 60% of the whiskey sold all over the world. Irish whiskey sales sadly declined for a number of reasons. The introduction of mass production in other countries, using more advanced technologies that the Irish were reluctant to use along with the War of Independence and Prohibition in the US. The Irish were reluctant to speed up the process, opting for quality over quantity. As a result, the last distillery in Dublin closed in 1976. If you'd like to know more, do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insiders Burning Up the Boards. We start with a question from BWAC29. Now that camp is over, BWAC lists three questions. I'll go one at a time here, Tim. Question number one, biggest surprise positive development during camp? Not just, not necessarily individual, but just biggest. Yeah, so the individual surprise. one for me is not a big deal to this year, but I want to throw it out there. Um, ben Morrison joining Jaden Mickey in these conversations and what we saw. I just figured Ben Morrison would be a really good player starting next year. He looks like a guy that's, if somebody he's, gets hurt, Ben Morrison could come in and compete. Yeah, he's a, he's a feisty little. Yeah, yeah, I've said it and written it. I mean, in terms of feistiness, he's a lot like Jaden Mickey. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's as far advanced. We haven't seen him as much as we saw Mickey, but um, in in terms, yeah, of I don't. I mean, are there a lot? I don't know that I that a ton of things have really surprised me. Yeah, we cover it every day. It's kind of like who's the surprise players? Like, well, no. I mean, one's maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe Blake Groupie and and yes, that's that's you know right. the the confidence that it seems like he's gained and and. It's it sounds very much like he's been very good and very consistent. I think and Mason was almost indignant about the issues of the spring. He he started off by saying we needed five new we needed five new specialists. Our holder in the spring was absolutely not going to be our holder. He was just taking one for the team, trying to learn to hold. Of course, we didn't kick the ball well. It's fixed now. Is it fixed? I don't know. It's harder to kick in Columbus than it is there. But it's uh, Blake Groupie came in as a weakness from our perspective from the outside world because Marcus Freeman mentioned special teams concerns him, kicker and punter. He hadn't seen them yet. I do not, I no longer like have a major concern other than I'm afraid, you know, every time a kicker goes to kick, unless he's just Mr. Unless he's David Ruffer a couple of years or 10 years ago <laughs> where the ball was always going in, you're always a little worried. You were, you were worried about Jonathan yeah. Dorr even when he was having his best year. You'd still think he was going to shank one once. Yeah. You know, actually, maybe the biggest surprise is Bryce McPherson and what they've what they've been saying about him as a kickoff man. I mean, I did not. First of all, uh, John Stott, the walking walk on kicker, is the holder, um, and it's funny because Mason said it, and a couple of his teammates said it that oh, he, he you know he's an experienced holder. He's did it for four years at Harvard. No, he did not. He did it for one year at Harvard, but he is apparently so good at it that they all think he did it for, for four <laughs> years. So that's all that really matters. But McPherson is the one that, you know, I mean, I asked, well, first of all, Mason said he won the kickoff job in five minutes. And secondly, yeah. I asked him, you know, what kind of percentage are you looking at for touchbacks? And he said 80% top five in the country. Now that that would qualify as the biggest surprise of the spring for me. That would be a great one too. I know he has a great leg, but I yeah. mean, all of those accolades were a little bit shocking to hear. Sure. And Blake Groupie, we asked Blake Groupie, there's about nine of us around him. So are you in competition for the kickoff job with Josh Bryan? And he gave us this look like, you must not know, huh? <laughs> and then he just pointed over at Bryce McPherson, the other side of the room. He's like, no, man, you are going to see a show. I, I guess Bryce McPherson, according to Michael Vinson, won the freshman sprint when he showed up in June. Tobias Merriweather and Jadarian Price were involved in the freshman sprint. <laughs> now, whether that is a mild exaggeration or not, he insisted on it. Blake Groupie kind of backed him up. I don't think he's faster than those guys, but that dude must be able to run for yeah. any of that to him. Well, if you see, you've seen his leg extension as a punter, and that 
to me, that's a, a great indication of, yeah. of athleticism. Future punter, because um, John Sott, uh, as of now, has won the job, they said. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I really kind of missed that. Well, he said if we started today, it would be yeah, John yeah. Sott. But, I, you know, that isn't going to change. Another surprise, I know you're going to agree with this, Joe Wilkins. Yes. Running around on the field in uniform well, after having had Liz Frank. Okay, yeah, Liz. Part Frank two here, player one. you think will get significantly more snaps than you, uh, than you okay. thought pre-camp, Joe Wilkins, because I didn't yeah. think Joe Wilkins would be seen until October. Yeah, uh, that yeah, that's a great yeah. That is uh, question number two of BWAC twenty nine. Player you think will get significantly more snaps than you thought pre-camp? Um, yeah, Wilkins. <laughs> Wilkins is at the top of the list. Maybe Logan Diggs. You know, at least as it relates right, to right. the start of the season. And maybe the guy. Oh, now, what about Bertrand? Yeah, you know, I I I feel I feel responsible for. And I know that there's a huge segment out there that, again, that are dwelling on the 12 missed tackles that he made over the course of a season in space and, and disregarding all the times that he filled, filled a gap and drilled somebody. Uh, I, I, I mean, I can't I, – Bertrand has just gotten such a raw deal in the perception. And I know there will be people that are waiting for him to miss a tackle in open space and, and it will be thrown in our face. But J.D. Bertrand's a – a good football player, but you need both. You need him and Leofile. And oh, that yeah, is three with, with Bauer. I'm just saying, right. I, we, I think we all figured the coaches don't look at it the way even we did. If, if for people that support Bertrand's play, they, I think Bertrand's the guy that would be on the field the most out of Leofile, Bauer and Bertrand right now. I agree. And I would have had him third entering camp. So there's a surprise. That this is a, a this is a, when you talk about football IQ of the Nordame linebacker core, it says high as you're ever going to find it. Yeah. Third question. Third part three. Of this question yeah, was, go ahead. Which freshman will have the best career at Notre Dame, which is kind of tough to figure out right now. But Merriweather, he said Singleton. We assume he means Price. Raritan stays, Mickey or other. I wish they had Nicholas Singleton, but I think he means Jadarian Price. Uh, the injury is a bit of a setback. You know, that's tough. I, I think I'm I think I'm going to say Mickey just based upon the comments that Marcus Freeman made to us, right. When you and yeah. I were sitting down with yeah. that, that's when he, he made that comment uh, when the three of us sat down. And so I would say Mickey, but man, I've been blown away by Holden stays. How, how good he looks. I think we we're all excited about Eli Raritan. He's bounced back from the ACL Merriweather. Certainly Merriweather is right up there and Jadarian price assuming that he, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to think that he won't get back to the level that he was at, but man, there's some, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of good guys that uh, BWAC chose six really good ones from which to choose Tui Alamaka might be a guy to say. throw into that group, out. right? That's the one guy left yeah. out that as of now you could throw into that group. And clearly it could be any of the freshmen because nobody knows anything their first August camp, but Tui Alamaka would be the other that you want to list right now. Right. Question from David Lopez five. How concerned are you with the quarterback playing with the offense overall? And I, I tagged that with the question from Jay bolt Two Fifty. I saw Anthony Brown's stat line from last year at Ohio state. He's the uh, uh, Oregon quarterback. Do you all think Buckner performs worse, similar or better than Brown did in that game? Anthony Brown for the record was 17 of 35 for 236 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 10 carries for 65 yards with a long of 18. Do you think that, I guess let's answer the second question first, Tim, do you think that uh, Tyler Buckner puts up comparable stats to that? That would be slightly under 50% throwing. Uh, 100 but, total yards. Uh, yeah, 300 total yards, no two touchdowns, no interceptions. Can we go no fumbles too. Two touchdowns, no turnovers. <laughs> I think he needs more touchdowns <laughs> than two total rushing and interception. oh god i'm more concerned about the interception total yeah well up. i'll take i was gonna say no matter what i say though i'll, I'll sign up for the zero interceptions um <laughs> it's a that's a this is a heck of a game if, if tyler buckner does not turn the ball over so, i tell you what if tyler buckner throws 35 to 40 times and throws one interception i will take that as a success again and again it's not i mean yeah it is partly buckner and and not really sure about how consistent he's going to be with accuracy but it's just the environment that he's going into. This is not a piling on of a Tyler Buckner. I just think any first time starting quarterback uh, put in this situation that played two years of high school, you know, that, that just lacks some of the snaps that, that some guys do uh, 
going into Ohio Stadium. I think it's just going to be uh, – I hope he can keep it, to keep it to one or zero interceptions. The first part of that, I'm not overly concerned about QB play or I'm not concerned about the offense overall. I just am in terms of how they can score 35 points to beat Ohio State. But the season, we can't only talk about Ohio State when we're looking at the right. season. I think the offensive line will be very good. Now, can they be – I put it in Monday musings. Can they be 2017, 2020 level? That's tough because those were senior fifth years and seniors yep. that were doing that. They could be that next year. Maybe um, I think mayor. Well, I don't think mayor is the given. And I have a lot of uh, faith in the development of Tyree styles. And I like what I see out of estimate. And then you start going to X factors. I mean, Lindsay, right. we think Lindsay can be good. We think Merriweather can be good. He's a true freshman. I think Tyler Buckner's going to have a good year. It's just, he starts in a very rough situation. Just throw, I mean, it's, he's, he's got to be accurate, you know, yeah. and I, and I, and I, in his first year as a starter, I have a difficult time seeing, I mean, what kind of percentage would you put on him? I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be below 60%. I'm I not saying by I a think lot. it'll be below 60%, but what, if he runs and stays healthy running, that can offset some of that yeah. because that's some cheap yards. If and if he's if he is above or well above sixty percent, uh, once again, I will admit that I was fully wrong about that. And I'm not saying that that absolutely will happen. I'm just saying, based upon what we've seen, not sure that he's going to. You know, like for example, where is he with his screen game? Because you know they want to throw the ball to the running backs in the screen game, and I'm not sure that that's a, a significant uh, asset in his game at this point. It wasn't. It wasn't for Ian Book, right? <laughs> and it's a complete, you know, it's a, when you think about all the throws a quarterback has to make, it's different than all of them. You have to let up, you change your arm angle. You have to finesse it. I can, and I can understand his, why I can guys would guy struggle with that. He's quite an athlete um, and throwing on the run and throwing on the move. I shouldn't say run throwing on the move is, is an asset for him. I think I have, I have high hopes that he can, operate the screen game better than Ian book who, which oddly, you know what Ian book should have better the screen game too. I still don't understand why he wasn't, but uh, I think, I think you'll see a little uptick there in the screen game and they need it desperately. It's probably been worked on all, all off season Florida or FL Irish 76 who needs to have a better day at the office for Notre Dame to defeat Ohio state, Tommy Reese or Al Golden. Well, they both need to be good. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that it matters whether, you know, which one's better than the other, but you know, let's Ohio state struggled defensively last year. They gave up 269 yards rushing to Oregon. The last two games of the year against Michigan and Utah, they gave up 87 points. I think it was. Um, so, you know, Tommy Reese needs to take advantage of now they have Jim Knowles as their defensive coordinator. Uh, he's excellent. Can he turn everything around in his first game as coordinator? That usually doesn't happen. Uh, but L golden is the one that's up against it because he's facing offense that averaged 45 points a game. I know they lost their two of their top receivers, but they still have receivers in CJ Stroud, you know, uh, Brandon Joseph was <laughs> on several occasions during the interview yesterday. He just talked about just how pretty of a ball that CJ Stroud throws. And when you watch film of him, man, it is, it is the most catchable, aesthetic beautiful throw that you're going to see so i would to answer the question i would say l golden because he's facing he's uh, he's facing a really good offense that was my first thought but now i have rebuttal for you i'm going okay. to can notre dame beat ohio state 21 <laughs> to 20 21 to 20 yeah can notre uh, dame beat ohio state 38 to 35 i think you need points yeah, I think I think it's more likely the latter that you would have to do that. Twenty-one twenty. You know, I have been I I I have already started to think about what kind of score we're going to predict or I'm going to predict. And if they beat Ohio State twenty-one twenty, oh. Al Golden <laughs> is the MVP of that football game, and we yeah. better talk to him on Tuesday when we talk to the players because that. But, you that know, I mean, it, it's strength against strength. Yeah, but their name should be really good defensively. You know, there's no there's there's no doubt, but. I hope, and this will kind of tie into the last question, Tim, as you look ahead, I hope that, you know, because I was told that Marcus Freeman was in over his head during the first half against Florida state. It was all over our message board. It was yeah. already figured out that this guy couldn't handle the pressure of going from Cincinnati to, to Notre Dame and, and, and calling a, a, a good defensive game on this level. So I just, can we not completely overreact to a game at Ohio state in the season opener? 
I think it's impossible. It doesn't matter how many times I say that, but uh, you need, they need to be good. They need, they need to be good. If you could hold, you know, I think we said it last week, uh, 27, 28, 31, 34. I'll sign me up. All those numbers are good. 27, 28, 31, 34. I'll take all of them. That Notre Dame can win a game if they keep him there. Question from Irish Deep Dish. Do you see El Golden going with an aggressive blitzing game plan or more of a stay over the top, let the defensive line pass rush type of plan against Ohio State? I mean, I think the, what I expect from El Golden is he will be adjusting throughout the game series by series, as he said he learned to do in the NFL, because the at some point they're getting yards. Ohio State is going to get yards. It's going to come down to when it's fourth and two, does Notre Dame stop them? When it's third and nine, does Notre Dame stop them from getting anything so they have to punt on fourth and nine as opposed to go for it on fourth and two? It's going to be so it's situational defense for 60 minutes. And that's how Notre Dame has a chance to stop them from scoring points. What are the chances they don't have at minimum at the end of the game? 475 yards of total offense for Ohio State. That's the bare minimum I can imagine. Uh, let's see. Last year they averaged 561. But you know, I mean, Notre Dame's yeah. defense is better than of course most it of is, the, but most of the defenses they played against. But yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I I do feel like Notre Dame. If if what we heard about what has happened in the preseason is accurate, then maybe this offense is a little bit better than we anticipated. And let's, I mean, Ohio State's defense was vulnerable as hell last year. They gave up. I'm just saying Notre Dame's defense versus Ohio State's offense. I don't think you're just going to go out there and play four-man rush, nor can you blitz wildly and leave your guys. Oh, you, you mix place. it up. And when they blitz, it's going to be something a little bit different from one to the next. I mean, and you're I not going to see weird three-down, four-down situations from Golden. He's obviously, he, I don't know if he let it slip, but he mentioned when we go four-down, when we go three-down. Like he, in his interview with us, he was kind of pointing out guys that, play situationally with when you brought up Chris. Well, yeah. I mean, that's not a surprise. I mean, we knew he was going to use three and four. Um, yeah. I, you know, you can't go ahead, Tim, finish your thought. I'm sorry. I, I feel like we're going to see something. The reason we haven't seen anything is we're going to see something we don't expect. The media did not see anything formationally on defense. The one thing we saw no. was at one point we saw three safeties in a period and we brought it to Chris O'Leary and he kind of gave us this look like, you don't want to talk three, about you'll see two, you'll oh, see. Yeah, okay. it's yeah. You know, here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just look at this at face value. Okay, you wanna you wanna bring the house against CJ Stroud on a regular basis? You want you wanna put your DBs in one-on-one situations with Smith and Jigba and and Buka and Harrison. And I mean, you gotta be smart about it. You don't you you have to protect the back end of your defense a little bit too, because that's how Ohio State kills people. Um you know, CJ Stroud, that, that's how you, uh, against Oregon, they, they lost the Oregon game and he threw for, you know, he threw for over 400 yards and he really wasn't, he wasn't sharp early and he got picked off late, but that was a kid. Now, now that's a first time starter, but you know, he was at home and he's a Heisman trophy candidate. So we're talking about a little bit of a different animal here, but uh, you, you have to, you have to pick your spots. It, it, you know, if you put your secondary in man coverage and Tra Travion Henderson breaks the line of scrimmage, your backs are to the line of scrimmage. So, you, uh, you know, that's not an yeah. ideal situation either. So um, to characterize how Golden's going to call a game, it's going to be a mixture. And, but I don't think it's an overabundance of, of blitzing because you look at the matchup between your defensive front and their offensive front. And you say, yeah, all right, we'll stand toe to toe with right. you and take our right. chances. Next from T. Branson, who is the under-talked-about guy that could have a great game against Ohio State? Who is the talked-about guy that might struggle based on matchups or other reasons? I'm a little reluctant to answer the second question because nobody exactly jumps out at me, but I would say Audric Estime. I think Estime is going to have a big day um, against Ohio State. Now, Tyree is there. I just think Estime is going to uh, Estime is going to break some tackles. I, I have not... I've started to watch Ohio state or I started watching Ohio state in the summer, but it's, I'm starting more like the beginning of the season, mm -hmm. working my way to the end of the season. And, you know, you see the the problems that they had against Oregon. Well, they had some of those same problems against Michigan and Ohio and Utah too. So um, I, I think they're going to have, 
I think their linebackers, Eichenberg, early in the year was man, he was he was missing run fits right and left. Now he must have gotten better, a lot better as the season progressed. But I would say Esther, I mean, that's my first pick. Yeah. Uh under talk that we talk about so many guys, it's hard. Um I I could see I could see Brayden Lindsay having being very good until he gets kind of banged up. You know, I think Brian Kelly was no, never wrong fair. about that, that he is uh he needs to be full speed to be effective. Now, if they've challenged him to try to make himself full speed more often, I, I'm, I think it's pretty clear. They talked about guy that might struggle based on the matchups. Ohio state has a lot of NFL skill position out there. And I think Notre Dame's very good linebacker core. It's humanly possible could struggle against those guys in space. I like Bo Bauer, JD Bertrand, Leofau and Kaiser. They are on an Island at some point in this game, right? Yeah. That's yeah. they're really good players, but it's this is the tough this is a tough matchup for those guys. It's a tough matchup course, for every guy. Yeah, yeah. Like that's why I mean that's that's why they're Ohio State. I mean that's why they average five hundred sixty yards a game and forty five point seven points per game, and their quarterback's coming back. And if anything, he's only going to be better, having thrown for forty four hundred yards and forty one touchdowns and six interceptions. Question from Club Fred ninety after meeting with a specialist last week. And seeing a full practice, are you more confident or less confident in Notre Dame special teams this year? More done. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, including Brandon Joseph returning punts. Um, I mean, again, we go back to McPherson and the kickoffs. That can eliminate the you know the danger of a, a of a, a kick return. I think Abuka is the guy that does their will do their kick returns. And last year he yeah they had a scout team guy. Um, yeah, wearing his yeah, jersey yesterday. Yeah, he he averaged 29 yards of return uh, on 20 attempts last year, so he's pretty good. But um, well, we got to be more excited. They don't have to kick it to him anymore. He can just put it in the back of the back of the end zone right, every time. Right. According so that, to uh, yeah, so that's one advantage. You know, I don't know that I don't know that Sot is going to be a boomer, but I, I you would like to think that he is he's going to be pretty consistent. Uh, we got a little bit spoiled with Jay Bramlett because it was very difficult to return his punts. And I'm not sure where Sot's going to be. But to answer the question succinctly, yes, I think everybody feels a lot more confident about the specialist after the interaction that we had and some of the feedback that we've gotten. Next from Raffman68, turnovers will be extremely important this year. What are your thoughts and expectations over the 12-game schedule? Well, I commented in the defensive report the other day, once again, that I mean, they really, really work hard on dislodging the football from, from, uh, from the offense. The defense does that. And, um, you know, so I think Notre Dame's going to uh, create their fair share of turnovers, but I do want to, Notre Dame has been in the, on the plus side of turnovers yeah. for each of the last five years, 2016 was a disaster, but since 2017, Notre Dame has been plus three, plus four, plus 17 in 2019 when they created 28 turnovers, and then 2020 plus six in a 12-game schedule, and then last year plus nine. I think it's I think Notre Dame's on the plus side. I think it's single digits on the plus side. Hopefully, it's closer to the nine of 2021 than the f- plus four of. 2018 because I, you know, we've talked about, I think Buckner, Buckner, um, you know, turns the ball over a little bit more because he's not as experienced as book was uh, in cone. Uh, But they'll, they'll, I mean, they're going to create their fair share of turnovers too, because it's really, really emphasized. 25 created last year. That's a nice, that's relevant. Those are the players coming back, you know, 28, the 2019 stats, every time we say them are so skewed because they beat the living daylights out of Bowling Green and New Mexico state. And they have all those touchdowns and turnovers and everything from that. So it's always weird to break it down. But 25, I mean, you'd take 25, 16 this year, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Give me, give me a plus, give me a plus nine with a first time starting quarterback. Yeah. I think that would be very good. Next from I word 30. What are your expectations for Xavier Watts at receiver and safety? Will he be able to handle the mental and physical workload of cross training on offense and defense? Well, we are, we, we covered this pretty thoroughly. I mean, I think ultimately he's going to probably settle into one spot more than the other. Uh, but man, when you see him, you know, the catch it, it's etched in our minds. We saw it in practice last Friday and uh, 
you know, you know, he can go up and get the ball. And in the comments by Brandon Joseph about the kind of hands that he has and what he's capable of doing, I, you know, I don't want to set the expectations too high, like in terms of receptions, because that's, that's just difficult to project right now uh, that he's just starting to learn the position, but I expect him to, I expect him to make a contribution on offense. And I expect it to be positive. He's a physical defender. He should be a physical runner with the football in his hands. I think uh, they need all eight receivers that are scholarship receivers to compete through three months. And they already have four starting safeties and he would be the fifth that fills in. So wide receiver, I believe he will settle in out of need and then you figure it out going forward. But hopefully we see him hitting some people on special teams. Yeah. I want to, I I didn't finish that quote from Brandon Joseph and I want to, I want to do that now. Um, uh, I, I, he said, I, I, he was talking about why I try to figure out all the mental parts of being a safety. I couldn't imagine having that offensive playbook in my back pocket too. Uh, and then he said, you know, I'm here for him, anything that needs for me uh, on the defensive side of the ball, but uh, yeah, it's a juggling act. And Oh, by the way, yeah. Classes start this week too. So he's going to have to deal with that in addition to offense, defense and two of the special teams, but he seems to be pretty well equipped. And, and again, I think, I think ultimately he has to kind of settle in a little bit more to one side or the other. And the need is greater right now at receiver. And he can, he can still have a real positive impact defensively on special teams coverage. Statman 72 in projecting this season's record, many fans anticipate Notre Dame going two and two against the quartet of Ohio state, BYU, Clemson, and USC. But isn't that really saying a loss to Ohio state and two and one versus the remaining three? If Notre Dame can beat Ohio State, then why would the Irish go only one and two against the other good teams? So separate from Ohio State, Tim, what is Notre Dame's most likely record against BYU, Clemson, well, and USC? I mean, you can beat Ohio, Oregon, beat Ohio State, and then lost four times after that. So, I mean, I don't know that just because you beat Ohio State means that you're then you're going to be at your absolute best against the other three opponents. Let me ask you this. What do you, so what do you think Notre Dame's record is against those four teams? I think they will go two and two. No, I think uh, I'm giving away our season by season uh, game by game well, pick here. Tim. Okay, yeah. let me ask you this: Are they more likely to go three and one or one and three against those four teams? I think they're more likely to go two and two than either one of those <laughs> things. <laughs> so this is, but seriously, like you make a good point about Oregon. I think Notre Dame is a better team than Oregon was last year. But, I agree, but they have they, but their team speed is what. It's not like people are really because they lose to who they're supposed to lose to and beat who they're supposed to beat over the last six years or five years. Forget that it's not always that way. Like Notre Dame can beat Ohio State and lose two games this year. They can. Yeah. Yeah. Because they could drop a game. They can drop a game to someone they shouldn't drop a game to. I know BC has to replace their entire offensive line. On paper, at that point in that game, Notre Dame should handle BC because of that. But stuff happens. I don't think North Carolina on the road is a harder game than BC at home. But I could be wrong. It's on the road. It's, it's a hard. Maybe it's a harder game for Tyler Buckner that day on the road than right. it would have been. A, like there's, right. there's, there's so many p- things that come into this because Brian Kelly kept beating teams he should beat his last five years, and getting waxed more often than not, other than the Clemson win against teams he's supposed to lose to. We assume it's going to be the same way. I feel like they are going to lose a game as a favorite this year, but I still think they could beat Ohio State. Or Clemson. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad. Uh, let me just, you, you mentioned BC in our offensive line. I'm glad that you pointed that out because I keep talking about that, that game, you know, Jerkovic, McNulty, good deep, really good secondary. Um, but if your offensive line can't, you know, their offensive line is going to have a hell of a time trying to compete against Notre Dame's defensive line. And so that, all these games on paper, Notre Dame should have, except for Clemson and Ohio state. However, that is not how the sport is generally played. It's not, if you want to go on paper, then you're going to have a very sad beginning to the season. If you tell me Notre Dame cannot lose to any of those other teams besides Clemson, then why are you saying they can beat Ohio state? It's, 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 it's a, that's the biggest spread of the year. We see upsets. We see upsets every week of every year. And to, to say that such and such team can't lose to, I mean, I grew, as great as Eric Parsegian was, Eric Parsegian lost some games. It was like, you know, how do you lose to Missouri at home? I, you know, I. The Cal line, the last I saw it was Notre Dame by 17. Do you think Notre Dame's going to lose to Cal? Because I don't. 
No. Well, the Ohio State line is 15 and a half. <laughs> you know what the line was for Oregon last year? No more, probably, right? No, it was, only, it was 14. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, the spread is greater now for Notre Dame against Ohio State than it was that is Oregon. It was still a bunch. It was still still yeah. two touchdowns. And Notre Dame's a little bit more than that. But I, I just, you know, anybody that says that they can predict Notre Dame USC today right. is, is lying to themselves because that, that is, that's not possible. We don't, we don't, we haven't seen USC. I mean, I keep saying the USC is going to be different than, than the USC we've seen, seen for the last six or seven years. I mean, that's almost guaranteed. Clay Helton's not there anymore, but I don't know how you predict Notre Dame USC. Now we haven't even seen them play and they've got two dozen, two dozen transfers, including, you know, all the guys, not, not, not disgruntled players that chose to transfer to USC right. frontline skill position players going to USC to build them, to try to build them back up, you know, to a national power again. So I don't know. I, the only thing I'm capable of predicting right now is well, not next Friday uh, is Notre Dame, Ohio state. And, um, but those four teams, I'll, I'll. Would you take two and two? Yeah, I would. It'd be, it'd be uh, as long as as long as they don't blow another game, Tim. I'd take two and two. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they're but, much more likely to go two and two against those teams than one and three. Like way more likely, way more likely. I don't think they're going one and three against those four teams. So of Ohio State. Clemson and USC, the most likely to win would be USC on the road and came 12. Is that, are you saying that? No, I'm, I'm saying Clemson at home. Okay. They're a good home team. It's a good home program now. I don't think they're losing that from Brian Kelly. Uh, yeah, I hope not. Let's just go. Uh, let's just go one at a time. Cause that's all my mind can uh, handle. With any, kind of, with, any, with any kind of accuracy. Are you more or less confident than you were five years ago in Notre Dame's ability to win a national title in the near future? Way, five I would, years ago, I'm way more confident. Yeah, way, way, way more confident because Brian Kelly handed Marcus Freeman a great program. But consider this for a second, okay? 2023, Ohio State, USC at Clemson at NC State. 2024 at Texas A&M at USC, Florida state, Miami. We, I don't know where Florida state's going to be, but I think we expect Miami to take a jump up 2025 at Arkansas, Texas A&M USC at Miami 2026 at USC in game 12, Wisconsin. I've got somebody else written down here and I can't read my own writing, but it's an away game somewhere <laughs> and it must be a pretty good one. And in 2027 at Clemson, at Michigan State. So, I mean, yeah, I, you feel great about where the program is. Uh, Marcus Freeman is raising the, the level of recruiting Keon Keeley or no Keon Keeley. So you feel good about all of that. But at Samson was the first one, I think, when we when his question or something similar to it was posed a while back, he pointed to the schedules and he's right. They're going to get they already this one is more difficult. This current one is more difficult. Than, than the ones they've had in recent years. So that's I think this one. This one sets up to be able to lose your first game, though, and you would get in. True. If you run the table like Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame will get in if they lose to Ohio State and then run the table against. The True. You know, no, I, I mean, agree. Unless Clemson's has a real fall. That would that would be a problem. Yeah. Um, whereas. I mean, I think by playing Ohio State and Clemson the next two years, you can go 11 and one, assuming those teams are what they need to be. Like last year, it just wasn't a good enough. If they lost to Ohio State last year instead of Cincinnati, there's more respect for Ohio State than Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. They would have had a shot. No, but I mean, I think, yeah, I think they're much better positioned to win a national title than they were 2017. But they, they're in a much worse position to win a national title than they were in 2012 because they got to beat two teams as good as Alabama. Very true. Very That's true. The problem. We're going to wrap up with a question from Old Chunk of Coal. And that is, what will be the most overused sports cliche in this year's coverage of Notre Dame football? <laughs> That's an interesting question for a whole chunk of coal. Uh, you have a, do you have a particular one in mind, Tim? I, yes, I have one. Uh, and that is that uh, the shackles are off Tommy oh, Reese as the wow. offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. There weren't shackles on Tommy Reese the last couple of years. He called the plays. They devised the game plan with Brian Kelly uh, uh, together uh, during the week, but uh, 
I mean, I've had on great authority, I've been told that that is just not true. And so I think somewhere along the line, the other one is like, if they lose and Buckner struggles immediately, people say that Buckner can't play and will never be any good. I was thinking along the lines with Freeman when they lose a game that he's in over his head. Just Well, that's yeah. Yeah. At, at some point, it, it, the fact that you're playing at Ohio state in the first game, it, uh, yeah, at some point that's, that's going to be said. And that is unfair because you have to learn how to be a head coach to a large extent. And so there, there, there's some degree of growing pains. There has to be, it's impossible not to, he's, he's in situations he's never been before. And so, you know, things aren't, it's 12 game schedule and things aren't always going to go as well as you'd like. They're going to have a home game against somebody that you shouldn't think they're struggling against. And they will not because of any shortcomings, but because that's college football. It's human nature. Yeah. I actually have that. I wanted to add this in a, in a different segment. I have my one game. I uh, am going to offer advice for when they say predict a winner. I predict that when Notre Dame plays game two against Marshall, you take the points with Marshall. I agree. I agree. Whether they upset Ohio state and are number two in the country or they lose eight months of prepping for Ohio state is now three days of barely caring about Marshall. Yeah. Not, not that they're, not that they're necessarily going to play poorly or lose the game, but I don't mean the ball state type thing where you need an onside kick to win it. No, I don't think, I don't (laughs) think so uh, either, but I think Marshall Marshall has some components. We've talked about it that where they could come in and play pretty well. That that's just, that's 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 a human nature. That's you said college story. football, and that's what I think yeah. college football is. Yeah. That game is closer yeah. than it should yeah. be. Okay, we are eleven days away from the opening kickoff, which means uh, we are back in the two podcasts per week mode. So we will be back on Thursday to talk more Notre Dame football and probably answer a lot of questions similar to this about Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Um, and um, I don't know that I can hint at that, but we may have something tomorrow that uh, uh, podcast wise that will, that, that uh, our listeners and and readers will be happy to, to listen to. So we appreciate you joining us here on Irish Illustrated Insider next time. It will be uh, probably a bigger crew. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.